stack. Um, we have a little brochure uh, that's sitting on the countertop. Uh, that's about the only thing that says, hey, First Christian's the, 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 the place that this is coming from. Uh, it's about the only place uh, that, that says anything like that. And about 20 to maybe two dozen a day are being picked up. And, uh, and, and many of those, I've seen a lot of our community folks, uh, not, not church folks, but community folks sitting down and reading it as they're trying us out. And it's been a good opportunity to have lots of little conversations with, uh, for me personally at least, dozens of community folks just this past week. So uh, it's, it's been a really great opening. If you haven't made it yet, please make sure you do. Uh, not open on Sundays, but pretty much open 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. most of the rest of the week, uh, except for Saturday, which opens at 7. So uh, make sure you take, take uh, some time to get by there. I want to also point out uh, available on the resource tables today, uh, we have what we're calling a study guide. And I sort of alluded to this a little bit last week. Uh, what we're going to try to do at the beginning of a sermon series is to provide a little booklet, a little study guide, and uh, those are available on the resource tables on your way out. Um, and what it has is the schedule of what we're doing and when, and it's got the life group questions, and I've sort of beefed up the life group study a little bit uh, so as to, to provide a little more throughout the week Bible study fodder. Uh, so that you can uh, continue to interact with the sermon material and continue to, to get some more meat throughout the week. Um, so make sure you check those out. There are two versions of them. Those of y'all who are life group leaders, life group leaders, there's a version that says LG in the top right. Uh, those are in John Hamilton's box. Those have um, a bunch of, <laughs> it's not the words of Christ in red, it's the words of Scott in red. Um, so you, you can't see that, but life group leaders, there's a special version for you all that sort of uh, that sort of talks about where I'm headed with some of those questions. So um, one other thing I want to point out is uh, <laughs> in part because of this thing and uh, and because of Catalyst opening this week, I, I didn't quite get to all five weeks of the questions yet. Um, so we've got three of the five and I'll have version, well, probably version 10 for me, but version 2 for you uh, next week that will include uh, weeks 4 and 5 of the study guide for you next week. So make sure you pick those up. It'll be a great way to continue to um, interact with the material. You can keep it in your Bible and have, uh, have a whole bunch of great stuff. There's a three or four page little introduction to the series. Each week has a, a smidge of a one page introduction to just kind of get your head in the game for uh, where we'll be talking for that particular Sunday. So it's, it's a cool little resource that I hope helps us, uh, so make sure you grab that. Uh, just a couple other things before we get into prayer here. I want to mention that uh, Elaine James, uh, our friend, longtime member at church here, um, is home recovering from heart surgery. Um, so do please continue to pray for the Jameses, uh, for Elaine James. And also want to, uh, um, to give our condolences to Karen Ray and uh, to Gary and to Karen because of Karen's uh, father passing away yesterday morning. His name is Gerald. Uh, so uh, please do pray for uh, the Rays and for their family. Uh, they're here with us this morning. His name was Gerald. So uh, pray for that family. Let's go ahead and uh, pray together as we <coughs> get into the word.
Father, at the beginning of a time when we dive into your word to hear from you, we acknowledge that, uh, that you are Lord God Almighty, that, that the full weight of your glory, if we were to uh, experience it, to hold it, it would fully crush us. You are beyond our greatest thoughts of you, Lord. And so we approach you in humility. We approach your word, asking that you would speak to us. We approach with anticipation, knowing that your Holy Spirit in us will continue to shape us through the truth of your word. We ask that our time together for that would be fruitful, that you would continue to make of us a body of believers that is about your purpose of making disciples, is about your purpose of being fruitful and multiplying, that, that your purpose in creating the world would be our purpose. Lord, we lift up the friends of ours who are experiencing suffering and pain. We know that uh, Karen and her family are grieving the loss of a father. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to give them the support of family and friends. We continue to lift up the James family and ask that you'd be with Elaine and her healing, Lord. Father, for numerous things that we could talk about and name today, Lord, we know that you alone are the great physician who heals physically but also who brings to us peace and rest. And so we ask, Father, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us in ways that bring us peace and rest, in ways that bring for us an inner joy of knowing that you have taken care of the greatest problem we could ever have which is standing before you as rebellious sinners instead Lord because of the work of your son Jesus we stand before you clothed in righteousness and because of that truth Lord we gather to acknowledge your presence among us and in our lives we ask that you'd make of us Men and women, make of us husbands and wives and parents and grandparents. Make of us a community of faith where your presence is tangibly among us in a way that is noticeable, not just by those of us who enjoy the love we have for one another through your Holy Spirit and through what you do to us, but that those who don't yet know you would see that and that uh, a winsome witness to the world would be noticeable by those who don't yet know you. Father, we ask for a continued uh, success with this outreach that you would give us opportunities uh, for a gospel-centered relationships to be fostered in that place, Lord. That you would continue to bless Chuck and Sue. Uh, that you would give us a platform for uh, just generously giving away what you've blessed us with, Lord. So that that would be a witness to our community. Father, continue to make of us men and women who are laser-focused on what you've called us to. 
which is fruitfully making disciples. Teach us what it means to make disciple makers so that we would continue to enter into the lives of people in relationship so that we would have a platform for the gospel. Father, teach us from your word. Make of us men and women of word and prayer each and every day. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I'm going to start off with a little introductory video. Friends, this series, the Bible, our lives, exist for the purpose of highlighting Jesus Christ. 
That's why you breathe. That's why we're here. That's why we have this book. We exist. We have everything we call ours. We live and breathe and move and have skills and brains for the purpose of highlighting Jesus Christ. And, and, and I don't know everything about you, but I know enough about pretty much 95% of you to know that you're a lot like me in this regard. <clears throat> there is a lot about my life. <laughs> There's a lot about your life that has not been so much about highlighting Jesus Christ as it has been highlighting me. Highlighting you. Highlighting my own purposes in life, your purposes in life, the things for which I was sure I was, you know, made to do. Um, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I, but I know that the older that I get, the more aware I am of my need for a true and better Scott. Uh, the older I get, the more aware I am of my need for a true and better Scott. I'm, I'm increasingly aware that, that Scott Wakefield at his finest hour, on my finest day, is a Scott that is infinitely in need of a mediator between me and God. In need of something, someone who would bridge the gap between my sin that breaks the relationship with a perfect and holy God. That is why everything about us, the word, your resources, our gathering, your very breath is about highlighting Christ because he's the one, the only one, the only possible being on the planet who could have bridged that gap for you and for me. And that's why he is in this entire series, the true and better everything we're going to name. And the truth of that video, uh, one of the truths in that video is that this Bible that we read, this word that we're supposed to be hearing from God in, is not just this thing that's this sort of anachronistic, out-of-time thing where I read a story and, and then I just, and I just soak it up for me. Like I get into the Bible, I'm just... What can I get for me? The Bible, your breath, our existence, this gathering is for the singular purpose of highlighting Jesus Christ as the true and better. And I know that the older I get, the more aware I am of my need for a true and better Scott because this Scott without a Savior is really not very impressive to a perfect, infinite, holy God. And I know that that truth is the case for every single one of us in this room. On our finest day, on our finest hour, at our very, very best, each one of us is infinitely unimpressive to a God who is perfect and holy in every possible way. I say this, I start with this, because I think there was a time for me uh, in my life, <laughs> a pretty clueless time, honestly, uh, a clueless and unaware time in my life when I was pretty sure of my ability. Pretty sure of my ability, my acumen, uh, my, my adequacy. That's what I was sure of. I was sure of my adequacy. 
The plan for me was that after I got my two PhDs by the age of 30, that I would have written pretty quickly a couple really influential books and, uh, and then begin to do a little bit of the, the sort of lecture circuit a little bit here and there and, and do some speaking, uh, you know, get my name out there in, you know, theological preaching kinds of circles so that once I had my two PhDs, read a couple, wrote a couple very influential books, uh, I would do some speaking and be, you know, the next, the next Billy Graham, but with a little bit more of a, uh, a theological savvy to him, you know. That, that was kind of, that was kind of what I thought I was created to be in my adequacy. Uh, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that, but, th- you know, that's, those are kinds of things that went on in my head about what God created me to be and what I was supposed to do with my life. I know some of y'all, you know, grin and laugh and feel a sense of, uh, I don't know if empathy is the right word, but you identify (laughs) because maybe you, like me, saw yourself standing in front of throngs of admirers, all of whom probably have read my important books, and and there I was standing there, you know, using aptly chosen words, nuanced in a particular kind of a way so that people would just go, Thank you, that's, thank you. <clears throat> uh, of course, for me, at the time, I was doing that from a very pure motive uh, because I wanted people to know Christ, right? I mean, that's, that was what I, that was what I thought. So now I know better. Uh, now I know much better. And, and seriously, just this week, I was thinking, um, I was just thinking, how silly was it for me to think by the time I was 30, I had two PhDs, had written a couple influential books, was you know, sort of on the lecture circuit, uh, doing some speaking, when now I know the truth of the matter is that it is a miracle and, and the grace of God that I made it through college in the first place. True, true story. The older I get, the more aware I am of my need for a true and better Scott because this Scott without a Savior is a lost ball in high weeds. Lost ball in high weeds. And that's the reality of every single one of our lives without a true and better Scott. A true and better your name. And scripture is something where we read these stories, we read these accounts of the people of God before us, and it's not just that there's supposed to be a true and better Scott, a true and better you. There's, there was a true and better Adam There's a true and better Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the way down the line because all of Scripture is meant to point to the Savior. Scripture has numerous accounts of people who have lost their way and lost their purpose just like I had, just like I know some of you have clearly experienced. Scripture has account after account of people who have placed their own adequacy above God's adequacy for us. That's where we're headed today, friends. The big idea, and this is on the back, uh, the study notes there in uh, the worship bulletin, that Jesus is the true and better Adam. Put your name in there, but we're going to look at this through the filter, through the lens of Adam. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden whose obedience is imputed to us. His obedience is reckoned, it's given to, it's reckoned to our account. 
So Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. The adequacy of God is given to Adam because Jesus alone passed the test in the garden that Adam did not. So let's look and see how this develops a little bit. Turn with me to Genesis, the first chapter, Genesis 1, 26 through 31, if you haven't gotten there yet. We're going to start there because this is where we learn of Adam's purpose in the first place. We'll look at this in a couple places, this and also uh, Genesis 2, 15. It says this in Genesis 1, 26 to 31. This is where we hear of Adam's purpose. Then God said, let us make man in our image. That word us there refers to the Trinity being there. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all were present in creation. Then God said, let us make man in our, there's that Trinitarian uh, uh, emphasis there again, in our image after our likeness. And it says, let them have dominion. That word dominion is about authority. It's about stewardship. It's about having some responsibility to, in a sense, reign for God. To reign, R-E-I-G-N, for the Lord in that capacity. So let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27 says, So... God created man his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And here's that, here's that authority, that responsibility. A good word for that is stewardship and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, so that every time we eat, we're, we're cognizant of the presence of God that has to be there for us to exist, for us to live and exist. It says this, verse 30, To every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. And we're going all the way to 31 for this reason. God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. The good purpose of creation for Adam in this circumstance as a pattern, as a prototype for us, and we'll see how he's also a bad pattern soon enough. The reason for his existence, the good purpose for him being alive is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It's the first command given by God to Adam there in Genesis 1. Look at Genesis 2.15. There's another cool way to say this here. Genesis 2.15, we also see uh, a, a further expression of Adam's purpose. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him. That word put there in the Hebrew is very similar to the word for garden, to plant, to to sort of cultivate a place, to put him in the Garden of Eden, to work it and keep it. So God is the great gardener planting Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it, which means that Adam was a steward of God's creation. And that was his purpose for existence. He was to steward the land and the animals. Everything in creation that God had given him for the purpose of fruitfulness. For the purpose of being fruitful and multiply. So, so for a while, in the garden, everything was uh, hunky-dory and Adam's rolling right along, 
tending to his garden, doing what God had told him to do and supplied and equipped him to do until he and Eve reject the command. And we don't have time to to follow how all this happens. You can do that in the study guide there. There's some more about this. But for us today, let's look at the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin. So turn to Genesis 3, 16 to 19. Genesis 3, 16 to 19. It says, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. We're looking at the consequences of their rejection of God's purpose for their lives. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam and Eve have failed to stick to what God told them to do in the garden. They perverted God's command of be fruitful and multiply, from something that was about God's purposes and his glory by which Adam and Eve would achieve joy and contentment and peace. They perverted God's good purposes for his glory to be fruitful and multiply the goodness of God into something that was about multiplying the goodness of me. Don't miss this very significant turn of events in the fall. Because this is a pattern for how we go through our entire lives, finding ways, manipulating ways, controlling things, having conversations with people in a certain kind of way where we highlight us and we don't highlight God. Which is the reason why every single one of us could have a true and better, Scott, a true and better put your name in. Adam and Eve believed in their own adequacy. They believed in their own ability to make up for what they had done in rebellion to God. They covered themselves with leaves. They hid behind a tree. And now, at this point, they were banished from Eden. Uh, They thought forever. A relationship with God forever broken. At this point, they are destined for hell, for hell, and they had lost the joy of being with God and doing what he'd created them to do, which is the exact set of circumstances every single one of us finds ourselves in, if not for a true and better, put your name in the blank. And so Adam becomes throughout Scripture a type of us, a type of us. Look at Romans 5, where Paul picks up this theme in a really cool section of Romans. Romans 5, 12 through 21, where Paul is describing how we are justified, how we are counted as righteous. That does not mean that any of us could be righteous, but that we are counted as righteous because of Christ's perfect and sinless life. And so Paul talks about that uh, in Romans 5 and a bunch of places in Romans, but Uh, In Romans 5, we're going to look at that today. 
I'll turn with you here with my slow hand. Romans 5, 12 through 21. We're just going to make a few comments along the way then make some application. Romans 5, 12 through 21 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, hmm, wonder who that is, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So he starts this pretty complicated passage with this little phrase in verse 12 here. And then 13 through 17 is sort of this parenthetical statement. Uh, this is very typical Paul writing here. It's pretty complicated, and, and sometimes it goes on and on and on and on, on, making a bunch of points about, like, one thing. And 13 through 17 is similar to that. So we'll pick up in, at the end of 17, uh, verse 18 there in a second. But let's go ahead and read 12 through 21. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So that's why we're looking at this passage here, because Adam is a type of Christ. He's a type of Christ, not for the good reasons we may think, but because one man brought sin into the world, and like that, one man brings redemption into the world. But the nature of that redemption is not the same as the nature of that sin. It's not like the scales of sin and grace, of sin and salvation, are, are equal. In fact, it's, it's the kind of thing where the life of Christ counts to make salvation infinitely tip the scales so that regardless of how much you sin, regardless of how much sin there is in the world, one time, one man, one Christ, lived a perfect sinless life, died and was resurrected so that salvation has forever tipped the scales. And that's a point that Paul makes throughout here. Says this in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, that's Adam, much more, he's making an emphasis on the scales tipping to salvation and grace, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. He says much more does it even abound for many. Verse 16, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation then it says but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification for if because of one man's trespass that's adam and we join in with adam's sin death reigned through that one man much more there's that emphasis on salvation as much more much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness here's a cool phrase right here reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We're going to see that idea of reigning again because what happens in Jesus is that he, he puts back together the kind of reign, that kind of dominion that Adam was given in the garden to steward what God had made 
Christ makes it possible for us to be there again. Look at verse nine, uh, 18 through 21. It says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 18 is the principle. If you want to sort of highlight that, underline that, it's the principle uh, for uh, pretty much this whole passage. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, that's by Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners, that's us, so by the one man's obedience, that's Christ, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass where sin increased, here's that emphasis again, grace abounded all the more. And then he says this, and I want to emphasize verse 21. He did this so that, verse 21 as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. <clears throat> to say that grace reigns is really a radical statement. We kind of toss around the word grace fairly easily in Christian circles. We talk about it being an unmerited favor, an undeserved kindness and favor. <clears throat> but to say that grace reigns, R-E-I-G-N-S, is a radical statement. I think, friends, we often live as if the law of sin and death still reigns. I think... A lot of us still live as if the law of sin and death is what's at work in us. How do I know? Because we are bookkeepers of slights against us. We are really good accountants of the law of sin and death and how I treat you that way and how you treat me that way. We are bookkeepers of slights against us. Consistently living with an eye for eye or tooth for tooth way of things in, in the way we interact with people and the way we speak and the, 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 inner, the inner gripes we have and grievances we keep. We're big fans of, of Jesus making us adequate. But we're not big fans all the time of treating one another as if Jesus makes us adequate. Either that or sometimes I think we're worried <laughs> that if you talk too much about grace or extend too much grace that suddenly you're being permissive in a way that allows too much. <laughs> like, like you're going to let me get by with too much or I'll let you get by with too much and, you know, that's not grace. Apparently, though, Jesus wasn't as worried about that as we are. Because he's the one who kissed the prodigal son 
instead of giving him a lecture. How many of us would be kissing the prodigal son when he comes home? I'm pretty sure I would have had that lecture in my head, ready, prepared, day after day, for when that kid comes home to hear my righteousness against him. Jesus is the one who threw a party when the prodigal son returned, clothing him in the best robe and fattening the calf. What does it say that we who are unjustified in our law-keeping consistently, spiritually bludgeon others? What does it say that we who are unjustified in our own law-keeping consistently, spiritually bludgeon others instead of, like Christ, who is the true and better every one of us, welcoming sinners with open arms? Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life for us so that we could be people of grace. We have him as a true and better Adam. We have each shared in the sin of Adam. We have each one of us committed the same offense. And he is the true and better Adam, the true and better Scott, the true and better you, not so that we could apply a law of sin and death to one another, but so that we could apply the law of Jesus, which is graciously welcoming people who know the distance between them and God. May our time in worship, our time in life groups, our time in study groups, our time in the Word this week, may we as a people consistently work toward becoming a community of faith where, because Jesus is the true and better us, we can extend grace and mercy to one another and to those who need to know Him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, without you, <coughs> would know only condemnation, would know only the law of sin and death, we would know nothing of your mercy and your grace and the joy of becoming the men and women you created us to be. We ask, Father, that because of these things that we see in the scriptures, because of our time in the word, uh, both together and as individuals, that you would continue to open our eyes so that we would be enabled to see all the various places, not just in the scriptures, but in our own lives, where everything that you've given us is to highlight you. Everything we are is for the purpose of bringing you glory. That every nook and cranny of our lives is meant to be sanctified by your Holy Spirit and, and, and repurposed for your goals and your glory. Father, please continue to make of us men and women of grace who realize that you've tipped the scales in our favor in a way that we don't deserve.
And so we're forever grateful to you, Lord, for doing that, for counting as righteous your perfect and sinless son, Jesus, who did pass the test in the garden when he was tempted to give up and he he was tempted to go against your will for him to be crushed. He said, not my will, Lord, but yours. His will was your will, Lord. And so we're forever grateful that his perfection, that his sinless life, that him saying yes to being crushed for our iniquities would be accounted to us as our obedience. We're forever grateful for that precious truth, Lord. Make of us men and women who live out of that truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.